Hey guys, before we get started, uh, why don't I read a five-star review on iTunes? There's only one, and I know who put it. It's my buddy Josh Nelson. Uh, thanks for leaving a comment, buddy. He left this on February 17th. Funniest dude out there. Once again, this is a friend of mine. So, you know, I just want to be clear. It's kind of like when NPR does a story about Facebook, and they're like, hey, just to be clear, Facebook is a sponsor of NPR and here we go. So this guy's my buddy. He wrote, uh, Zoltan should have a Netflix special. He's hilarious, and this podcast is amazing. Thank you, Josh. Uh, if you want your five-star review read right here, uh, go to the podcast app and leave one. And I'll read it right here. Other than that, uh, I have some dates coming up. I updated my website, ZoltanComedy.com, with the new dates. I'm going to be in Port Charlotte, Florida at the Vasani Comedy Theater. March 17th through the 20th, I will be at Hilarity's Comedy Club in Cleveland, Ohio, April 1st through the 4th, and uh, I'm in, I'm trying to set up something through Texas. Like, I want to do a bunch of shows in Texas. So far, I have some connections in Amarillo, Georgetown, which is just outside of Austin, and I hope to set some other stuff up in uh, Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, I don't know, maybe, you know, try to hit all of Texas. And then maybe everyone will leave me alone for a while. Because everyone's like, when are you coming? To I'm trying, all right? We're trying to figure it out. Other than that, uh, subscribe on YouTube if you want to support me even further. Join my YouTube page. That's where you pay me money every month, like Netflix. I'm a horrible salesman. Uh, but you get exclusive content. You get this whole, like, one of the tiers is $4.99 a month. You get this plus all the video. So you can see me say the words that I'm saying right now. Isn't that something? I think it is. It exists. Anyway, uh, enough of this. Let's get to the show. Hit that damn music. This Week in Zoltan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to This Week in Zoltan, episode 318, coming at you. At the new digs. If you're listening on the audio, you can't see it. But if you're watching on YouTube... This is it. This is the new locale. We just got moved in. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we got uh, we got our own place. Big move. Big decisions. We got it figured out. I think we did it good. Uh, it was the longest move I think I've ever done in my life. And on paper, it seemed like it should have been the easiest move, but it's never that way. It never goes the way you think it's going to. It was one of those like where my lease was up February 1st. Hers wasn't up till like the middle of March, and we rented this place in the February 1st. So I was like, oh, I can move all my stuff in, which took about two and a half seconds. I own nothing. And then we can slowly move her stuff in. And so all it was is like, you know how most moves take a weekend, and you order some pizza, and you have some beer, while you move some boxes? We did that for 30 days. We had pizza for 30 days. We just take out boxes everywhere and it's inching our, our products and our belongings into this new place. Uh, it took forever. And then we finally hired movers for the big stuff. The stuff I knew I couldn't, uh, I couldn't take. Uh, the stuff I don't want to. That's, like, that's a big evolution of, of humans. When you stop ruining friendships in order to get a couch into your new place you know you're like which friendship will survive 
the uh, the sciatic nerve I'm sure this love seat will induce by helping me move it into my new place. We hired two guys, we went through a moving company, and they showed up because uh, there was a desk and a treadmill and some other thing, a bed, you know, stuff I didn't want to move. And I was hoping that we would move like like I was hoping the movers would be giant men, you know. Like the stereotypical movers, just big shoulders, gut, just, you know, that retired athlete look where you could tell they used to do something and they still look like they could, just not for a long period of time. You know what I mean? Like those big dudes that are retired from like a retired lineman where you're like, dude, he could throw me across the street. You could tell he has the triceps and the shoulder and the humph, the chutzpah to send my carcass uh, half a block down, but he couldn't, like, do it twice. You know what I mean? Like that retired part, where you can do it once, but you can tell he only has a couple reps in him. That's what I was hoping. That's who I was hoping would show up to the place to, like, move a heavy treadmill and a desk and a, and a, and a, and a mattress, you know? And it didn't. It was just two guys that looked like me. It, it, that's what I got. I wanted retired NFL offensive linemen to help move this stuff, and they sent two guys that look like aspiring comedians. They were just built, like, malnourished, you know? And they, they waltz in, and I'm. we looked at each other. They kind of looked at me like, aren't you with us? And I'm like, no, I, I hired you guys. And it just felt weird. Like, I just, because that's the kind of job I used to do. I was never a mover, but I was always a, uh, like, a, my day jobs were always, like, unloading trucks at a warehouse, moving stuff around. That's, like, what I'm qualified to do, you know? If, like, if, if comedy doesn't work out and I have to go back and get a real job, I'll be hoping to get a job at a warehouse where I'm like, hey, can I unload those trucks and put them on these shelves so the shipping department can grab them off the shelf and ship them out to the next customer? That's what I'm capable of. And so I was like watching these guys come in. They look like me. They're built like me. They're not built like they're meant to do anything with their bodies. And I'm watching them struggle with these heavy desks and, and treadmills. And I just, I wanted to go up and, and whisper in the ear like, man, don't worry. Keep hitting the mics. It, it, your career will turn. You know, don't give up. I wanted to give that little piece of like motivation, man. Stick with it. Dry Bar Comedy will release a special years and everything will turn around. Don't worry. Um, but yeah, it was just not what I expected. I expected giant men in like half t-shirts and ridiculously like out of style tattoos to come in and just put stuff on their shoulder and like wink at me as they walk by while I just stand there going, These are some big boys. Better get the iced tea ready. You know, that's what I was thinking would happen. It was just two me's showing up, struggling with a bad posture and horrible form. And they nicked the table, they broke a step. It, it's what it was. But the point is we got everything moved in. So it's great. We got the ring doorbell set up. We finally put the, uh, we put the actual ring doorbell, we screwed it in to stucco. I don't know if you've ever done that. I don't know if you've ever drilled into stucco it's not easy it's not level i'll tell you that dude for how much money the ring doorbell costs they should just include a guy to come out and set it up for you 
Because they like it's eight hundred dollars worth of equipment. None of it's level. We got the the view on the ring doorbell is 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 a jar. I think is the best way to describe it. It's off kilter, off center. It's uh it's an obtuse angle of the street, and I think I mean this is a good thing. We live in a neighborhood where uh, so far nothing happens. Every alert that I've gotten on the ring doorbell is me. Like my phone buzzes and they're like, "There's movement at your front door," and I have crooked HD footage. Of me bringing groceries in the front door. Which is good. I guess that's all I ever want. I guess that's all I could ever want. Um, I did accidentally yell at the neighbor. Because there's neighbors in the back. And they walk through the front to get their mail. And uh, like five. As soon as we set it up. Like five detections in a row. Where it's just like the wind blowing. Or a car would come by. Or a power walker would zip by. And then this one time it was like an alert and Emma and I were hanging out and I hit it and there was no one there, but you can yell through the application. Like I can yell through my doorbell at somebody. So I was just joking around. I'm like, check this out. So I'm like, show your face, show your damn face. And thinking it was nobody like all the other five times. And then sure enough, I rewatched the footage. It was my neighbor. I just yelled at my brand new neighbor through an app, yelling at him to show your face. And he was the neighbor that I talked about. I don't know if I talked about him on the podcast before. Not a slight fella. All right. He's not. He, I wish he showed up to help me move. I, he, he's built like the guys I thought the movers would be built like. He looks like he can chuck me across the street. Which that was a whole other situation when we moved here. Yeah, you know, Emma wanted to feel secure. And then one of the things was like the neighbors in the back walked through the front to get their mail. And she was like, hey, can we ask them not to do that? So the landlord's like, yeah, we'll take care of that. And then a couple weeks ago, I was on my way to boxing. And my neighbor, who's a big fella, like I said, looks like he can throw human beings across the street. He comes out and I'm like quickly saying hi to him as I'm getting in my car to leave. And then he goes, Hey, is it cool if I walk through here to get the mail? And I'm like, yeah, everything's good. A-okay, man. You keep doing you. He's intimidating. What do you want me to do? Anyway, I yelled at the t- the intimidating guy through my Ring doorbell app, and I'm just praying he didn't hear it. Or if he did, I'm going to just apologize profusely. And I'm going to explain it. Dude, I was uh, I had four not- notifications in a row that was nothing. And then the fifth one, I was with my girlfriend. I had taken an edible. That's between you and me and the wall here. I thought it would be funny. And sure enough, you were there. And I was just hoping you didn't hear it. And I guess that didn't work out. Please don't throw me across the street. I think that's how it's going to go. I, 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 don't, I don't know what, what other outcome there could be. Um, I had a great time in Portland. I got to perform out in Portland, Oregon. Thank you to everybody who came out to Helium Comedy Club. Uh, we, I think we sold out all the shows at 50 seats max, uh, which is great. That's all we needed so I could sell out a show. You just need to bring those numbers down, you know? Bring in the range, and then I could start being a sellout. Uh, but the best part was, like, all the crowds were so great that it didn't matter that there was only 50 people per show. That's how pumped they were. It was their first weekend back, so I think everyone was just excited to be out of their house and not watching TV 
watching stand-up on Netflix or whatever. They were excited to just like watch it in person. So they were amazing. All the shows were so much fun. The first night, um, Kyle Kinane came out. Now, if you don't know who Kyle Kinane is, fix that in your life. He has a bunch of albums out on Spotify and all the streaming YouTube. Go watch this man. He's, um, you know, the word underrated gets thrown around a lot, but that guy is underrated. Like he's a, he's a, I call him the Kilgore Trout of comedy. I actually came up with that over the weekend while I was in Portland, and I never told it to him. So if he sees this, I guess this is how he's finding out. But um, he's just, a, he's a mixture of, br- like, he's brilliant and crazy all at the same Like, he's not crazy. He's brilliant, but he looks like uh, the Unabomber. You know, he's got wild hair. He's all outdoorsy. He looks like he can start a fire in any situation. But he's also very down-to-earth and and brilliant in what he comes up with and can also be goofy. I don't know. Uh, but he's a comedian that a bunch of comedians look up to. And I mean a bunch. Like, I would say all of them. Uh, there's two guys whose careers, if I could pick to have, I would pick. And one of those is Kyle Canaanis. The other one is Doug Stanhope. And the reason I like those guys is they're so unique and different on stage from what everybody else is doing. But not only that, they have a hardcore fan base and they tour independently. Like these guys don't, I mean, they'll go to comedy clubs and do a weekend. But really, like Kyle Kinane likes doing like punk rock venues and, and Doug Stanhope will perform anywhere, dive bars and, and uh, people's backyard, anywhere. And I, I dig that kind of punk rock angle that they take with it and so anyway it's my first weekend headlining in portland at helium and i show up on thursday and there's kyle Kinane hanging out with the uh the feature act uh caleb Sinan, who's also hilarious check him out and i'm like damn it that's what i need you know i got new material i mean new you know it's newer material it's untested uh, I haven't done stand-up in a while because of COVID. It's like all breaks. Like every time I feel like a well-oiled machine, there's another two weeks off, just enough to be off step here and there while working out this new material. And then Kyle's there, and I'm like, damn it. And I had met him before, him and his girlfriend, a few years before. And they were very kind to me, but I hadn't seen him since. And they just showed up to watch the show because it was the first weekend that they opened up, and they had moved up to Oregon right when the pandemic started. And so I was nervous. Caleb was nervous because he's in the audience. And it ended up being great. Like, we all had great sets, and he's nothing He's not, He's not. nothing but supportive. I don't, I think you'd have a hard time finding anyone to say anything bad about Kyle Kinane. And so it was just a great way to start the weekend. Because after the shows, we all just hung out, socially distanced, and drank beers and told stories. And it was... Portland was one of those weekends where it felt like normal again. Just the hang part of it. You know, from an audience standpoint, I'm sure it was still weird. You know, there's only 50 people in a club that seats close to 300. So maybe it was weird for them. But as far as, as like the com- comedy part, like the being a comedian part of it, where after the show you just sit there and you sip beers and you tell stories and talk about what's going on and you talk about each other's sets you know like i like this and maybe you can do that and this could really be something on this whatever it's all bullshit and it felt 
normal. Like, it was so great to just sit there and bullshit. Like, it was the old times. Like, it was in the before <laughs> the pandemic times. And I feel like it's so wild because that used to be my life every weekend. And I kind of took it for granted. And then now that it's, like, slowly coming back, I'm like, oh, yeah. And, and, and appreciating it more. So that, that part of it uh, really made it wonderful. The other part of Portland, uh, most, of, most everything was closed. I could there was no like indoor dining you know i could get food and eat it outside which isn't that big of a deal in san diego because it doesn't rain as much you know it's raining today um but uh out there was more of a situation uh, a good friend of mine justin drove down from olympia to hang out with me we went to the waterfront park i got accosted by a homeless person uh that's in the new clip i just posted a brand new clip today uh, from my weekend in Portland, it's called uh, Lunch at a Strip Club, which is another good story on there. But yeah, I was uh, the homeless dude. We were like at the waterfront. Like their homeless people are just extra aggressive. Like they'll chase you down to ask for money. And this dude ran across the field. Like he yelled, hey. And I was like, what? hi. And then he's like, do you have any money? And I'm like, I don't have any money. And then he runs over and he's like, well, can you order me a pizza? And I was like, I don't, what? Like, no, I I, don't, I can't and he goes well how about can I have your coffee and so he just took the coffee out of my hands I'm gonna say I gave it to him but it, it didn't feel it didn't feel like it was my idea and he took and I felt bad for him man he has to live outside and I don't I'm miserable walking in the rain when I choose to okay like it was a misty rainy day and I wasn't looking forward to walking in it and I chose to walk in it and this guy lives out in it, as do thousands of other people. So I feel for him. But by just like an optic, you know, just walking around Portland. And this is no knock on Portland. This is every city. We have homeless issues in San Diego, too. And this also isn't like a political thing. Because everyone likes, you know, they're like, oh, all those liberal cities. No, dude, I was in Oklahoma City. You had a bunch of crackheads, too. Uh, everyone's got their own... <laughs> Trust me, I, I, I get to travel the country well enough that I don't think too many cities get to point fingers at other cities. It's, you got it, alright? Uh, everyone's got dirt under their rugs. No one's doing the good job. Um, but just like walking around Portland and seeing it all, it just really feels like we're in the fourth quarter of capitalism. I think, and I'm not anti-capitalism. I mean, look at what I'm doing right now. This is pure capitalism. <laughs> I do stand-up comedy. I'm a small business. Capitalism, yay. But it just feels like we're at the last 30 minutes of Monopoly. You know what I mean? You know, in the beginning of Monopoly, everyone starts with 200 bucks. You all make your rounds. You buy Baltic Avenue or whatever the hell. But you know that last 30 minutes where like one player's got all the money this other player is like doing okay and then the third player is about to be out of the game and the fourth guy's been eating popcorn in the living room for the last hour because he's been homeless the entire time that's where it feels like we are like we got like jeff bezos and then us and then homeless people like it's it's it, there's a bigger gap there and it was just so weird to walk around portland and like see it you know, like I'm walking around, I, I'm, I'm living my dream, doing stand-up comedy for a living, hanging out with my friend, 
Um, and I'm not Jeff Bezos, but I'm also not homeless, but it seems like those are the only two places to go. And that's, it's very wild to be a part of. I feel like I remember turning to my buddy, Justin and going, it's interesting that we're witnessing the end of a civilization. I don't know if we'll get to see the complete end of it, but we're definitely part, it feels as though we're at the part where like it goes down. And it has been, but it just feels, it, it's like weird to be a part of history and notice it while it's happening. And it's probably going to continue for, you know, I don't know, another century. I'm no economist. I don't know anything. I'm wearing a football shirt right now in, uh, in March. I know nothing. But uh, it, was, it was interesting to be a part of that. That's, that's for sure. Um, what else happened this week? There's a couple other, I'm going to get to the sad stuff later. There's a couple RIPs. Uh, Mr. Potato Head is now Potato Head. There's been a couple things that have happened in the news. I think this is all because, like, uh, which, by the way, I'm not against anything. You can call Potato Head Head. I, I, I in 10 years, it'll probably just be called Potato. Um, but, uh, you know, for gender neutral reasons, they changed it from Mr. Potato Head to Potato Head. Which is fine. I, uh, I'm i not upset by it. I don't think anyone really was. I think Hasbro and just companies like to put that stuff up, you know, to be like, hey, we rebranded it, now it's Potato Head, just so people can talk about it. And I think most of the tweets are like, if you're mad about Mr. Potato Head being rebranded as Potato Head, then you're the problem. Or some version of that tweet, but I don't think anyone was actually mad at it. Who cares? Who's playing with Potato Head? Mr. Potato Head? Or the artist formerly known as Mr. Potato. Who's playing with this toy? Who's playing with any of this stuff? I don't have any kids. You can answer it if you're a parent. Aren't they all on iPads? Isn't everybody, like, how does a plastic potato compete with Xbox and an iPad? I don't think it can. I don't think anyone's playing with it. I think this was Hasbro's, like, way to, like, try to get some sales under this damn potato. And they're trying you know, they're doing their best. Um, potatoes are naturally gender neutral. I don't think potatoes have a gender. I don't think they, I'm pretty sure. I'm not a, I'm not a botanist. Does it count as a flower? <laughs> but I don't think potatoes, like I've never looked under one. I've never, you know, I've never been like, what do you got on a potato? I've, uh, I've usually just been holding one and then Googling how do you bake it. You need a fork and a microwave. But that made the news. I think we're running out of stuff to talk about. I think we now live in an era where our president doesn't tweet something, and then we pick it apart. We don't have that anymore. So now we're left with potato head, and the virus has been around for too long, so that's not exciting anymore. You know, we talked about Texas and Mississippi revoking the man, the mask law. We talked about that for a while. But for the most part, the vaccine and the pandemic and the virus has been going on for years. So it's like not as hot of a topic as it used to be. We don't have a president that tweets anymore. So Hasbro's like, hey, we rebranded Mr. Potato Head to Potato Head. And then a bunch of tweets followed. I don't know if anyone was upset. I don't know if anybody cared. But then the next day, uh, they said that Dr. Seuss... Uh, they're not going to, like, print six of his books. He's made, like, 50 children's books. Yes, Dr. Seuss, uh, because of racial 
you know, term, drawings in there that are deemed racist now, which that's great. Yeah, don't print them anymore. But I'm going to throw in Dr. Seuss with Mr. Potato Head. Who's reading Dr. Seuss? Especially those books. Those books like, came out 80 years ago. What? How is Dr. Seuss and Potato Head able to compete with Xbox and, and iPads? Are they really? Is it just one sad kid whose parents like refuse to give him technology and they're just over there putting eyeballs on a potato and reading green eggs and ham? I mean, it sounds like a one. It sounds like my childhood, to be honest with you. I'm not against this childhood. I'm just saying, like, he's not gonna, he's not gonna be allowed in conversation circles at uh, at daycare, because they're over there talking about the new Star Wars Lego video game, and then he's gonna be over there going, "I just read Green Eggs and Ham," and they're gonna look at him like he's eating Play-Doh. They're not, you know, he's gonna be. An outcast. So I don't know who's reading Dr. Seuss. I don't know who's, uh, who, especially those six children's books that I'd never heard of those titles. Dr. Seuss made like 50-something, and these six I'd never read. And I'm 33, going on 34. Um, and yes, it was offensive. I don't think it means you have to cancel Dr. Seuss. I think it was just what was okay 80 years ago. I think that's what it is. I... I, I I think everything's offensive if you give it enough time, you know? This, that statement I just made, will be, give it like two more days and it'll be offensive somehow. People that identify as time, I don't know. Whatever it is, like if you give anything enough time, it will be offensive. Because that was, Mr. Potato Head was just a children's toy. Uh, Dr. Seuss was making books for kids. Like the most flowery, hey, is everyone okay with this book? Here you go. And of course you give it 80 years and it's gonna be like, whoa, what is that? Yeah, you ever talk to old people? I, I, I used to work at a retirement home. Maybe I'm, that's why I'm not blown away by this, but I worked for four years at a retirement home during my teenage years. And when I would have a little one-on-one -on -one with them every once in a while, someone who was 80 years old or older would say something like it was nothing, and I would be there going, oh my God, you're not allowed outside for a reason. And that's just the way it is. Things don't age well. Our views change. And it doesn't mean I'm against any of it, by the way. I'm not against changing Mr. Potato Head to Potato Head. I look forward to when the term head becomes offensive. He's like, well, what about people that only have a torso? So then it'll just be called Potato what about people who are allergic to potatoes? And then it'll just be called uh, ball. It'll just be an oval. Oval face. That will be his name. Everything will eventually be offensive. Just give it enough time. It's like yeast. I don't know anything about bacon, but I feel like yeast continues to grow if you don't sprinkle some baking soda on it. Is that what it is? I don't remember. But think of yeast as anything... And then over time, it will be big enough to offend somebody. Just give it a little bit of time. Whatever the most uh, progressive, accepting book or movie, any piece of art that's out right now, I don't know what it is, but whatever it is, give it 20 more years. 
or 40 more years or god forbid 80 more years like we did with dr seuss's old novels and look back at it and we're gonna go oh boy we need to never show that again we need to pretend that we ever said that okay okay and then you high five and it's it oh listen to that thunder we actually have thunder in san diego I think I just said that out loud. Everything is offensive if you get enough time. And then God was like, how, how dare you? Uh, a couple more things I wanted to say. Uh, I watched the Canelo fight. Uh, oh, boy. Canelo Alvarez, one of the biggest, I think he's the biggest boxing superstar in the world today. He got paid $30 million to show up in Miami and kind of punch a guy for three rounds. He... He fought a guy that I think unloads trucks in Turkey. I don't think this... I mean, he was wearing gloves. He was undefeated. They had a parade for him in Turkey. I can't say his name. Yildred, how do you do? I don't know what his name is. But they shipped him to Miami to get pummeled uh, by Canelo Alvarez. And they said it wasn't going to be a close fight. And they, they were right. They were right. It wasn't a fight. It wasn't a fight. And the best part was the entrances. They had, they were in uh, the stadium in Miami, seats like 80,000, 100,000 people, and they only had like 15,000 people in there, so everyone was spaced out, right? And they had a giant stage with the TV screen, looked like WrestleMania, big old stage, long ass ramp to the thing, and then Canelo comes out with, like, the, I don't know who this rap guy was, but he did a whole rap song, there was dancers, there was a guy on a BMX bike doing wheelies, there's fireworks going off. Then they played the national anthem to every country known to man. They played Turkey. They played Mexico. They played the United States. They might have played a few others. And then there was like a jet flyover, then more fireworks. And then Canelo comes out to another rapper playing a different song and sings him to the ring while there's fireworks going off, more fireworks. And the whole entrance and the whole pr presentation just seemed like a tax write-off. I think... <laughs> Canelo realized what the taxes are on $30 million, and he was just screaming, more fireworks. We need to burn more of this money. Like, do you have any idea what income taxes are? More, more production. This is all a right. More fire. I just picture him yelling more fireworks during rehearsal because that was the most amount of fireworks I've ever seen. Dude, 4th of July didn't compare to what I saw there. New Year's Eve, when you see, like, foreign New Year's Eve and you see how many bombs go off in, like, Paris doesn't compare to what we saw out there and then the huge disparity of the entrance that canelo had compared to his opponent from turkey like canelo was walked down to the ring with a rapper singing a song he fireworks people dancing and then there's his opponent he came out to like a, a song he brought on a cd like he was just given a cd and he gave it to the sound guy and he goes, can you play track four? And then they just had the Turkish flag on the screen because they didn't know what else to put on there. And then he just came out kind of shaking his gloved fists, you know, trying to do a little something. And that was it. It just, it, it, it landed like a fart in church. Not at all. Everyone was just like, who is this guy? And then Canelo comes out. And then one of my, this is what I love about the fight game is that every fighter has a team, right? He's got his trainer and then a bunch of other guys, and they all have to dress the same. So that night, Canelo's uh, shorts were 
white with pink lettering. So his entire team had to wear white track suits, skin tight track suits with pink lettering. And like, he's the only one in shape out of his group. He's because he's Canelo. He's a prize fighter, so he's in tip top shape all the time. There isn't an ounce of fat on him, nothing jiggles. But the rest of his team looks like they're not professional athletes. They look like they're around to keep him in tip-top shape, and, and they don't have time to work on themselves. Almost like a parent. You know, you never see a parent in tip-top shape because they're working so hard to keep their kids pumped full of vitamins and nutrients and uh, not too much vitamin D and how much mercury is in that fish. That's what these guys look like they've been doing. They look like they've raised five kids, and they, haven't, they don't own a mirror. And then Canelo makes him dress in these skin-tight white tracksuits. And it just looked like, with, with Canelo standing there with his team, it looked like a bride with bridesmaids that he hates. Like the stereotypical bridesmaids always dress horribly, and it was the bride's idea. That's what it looks like. Canelo looks like a billionaire on top of the world, and everyone behind him just looks sad and divorced and plump. That's the entire photo. And I love that about the fight game, and I never want that to change. The part I would like to change is the competition level in boxing. Maybe Canelo could fight someone who, you know, knows how to do it. No knock on this guy. I'm sure that his opponent could punch my head across the street. But he didn't. He stood there and just got his ass kicked. Got paid like $3 million to do it, which I would have gladly taken that. I wouldn't have lasted as long as he did. He lasted three rounds. First time Canelo would have tapped me in the belly, I would have uh, I would have ripped my gloves off with my teeth and thrown them in the fifth row and been like, we're done here. Cash or check? How are we doing this? Um, we also had the Patrice O'Neill documentary. That came out. I watched that on, uh, on Comedy Central. Uh, it's called Killing is Easy. Uh, I think casual comedy fans definitely don't know who Patrice O'Neill is, but he was always one of my favorite comedians. Uh, Growing up, he had a Comedy Central Presents. And then I think around the time I started doing comedy, he had had an HBO half hour. And then in 2011, that's when um, uh, Elephant in the Room came out which was a great special. And that was the special that was supposed to like launch his career and he was in the process of doing that. And then he died just a few months after that, which I, did, I, I never realized that when the special came out that he only died a handful of months after, after that happened. But he's a comedian that's in high regard amongst a lot, of, a lot of comics. And I was reading some tweets and some people definitely got why that he is so highly regarded. But then there were some comments like, why is this guy considered the GOAT? If he was the GOAT, he'd be the GOAT. And I, I think the best way I can put it is comedians love Patrice O'Neill because he was always 100% honest on stage. There was no BS with this guy. He was completely genuine every second that I saw him on stage. Any, any footage I saw of him doing stand-up, whether it was at a club in New York or whether it was at Just for Laughs, the biggest comedy festival in the world, or whether it was on his comedy special, he was 100% honest and himself, and he never compromised that. And some people might be thinking, well, don't all comics work that way? No. Most of us don't have the backbone for that. Most comedians have their moments of honesty and their moments of 
phoniness on stage. I'm I definitely do, and all my all my peers do. I from what I can tell, very few don't have their moments of catering to a situation, catering to an audience, uh, doing their best to be liked in any situation. That's and I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that. Patrice O'Neill is so well admired from other comedians because he didn't have that. And it actually hurt his career because he didn't have that. And that's why it's so much admired from the artist side of, of, of stand-up that Patrice never, never compromised any of that. Um, and like I said, it was to a detriment to his career. But the overall, you know, you know looking back at his career, you can't, how do you knock it? How do you knock it? He was never being phony. Even if he didn't agree with what he said, he definitely said it like he meant it because he probably did. Great documentary. Highly re- recommend checking it out. Patrice O'Neill, uh, Killing is Easy. It was really well put together. They also had interviews with his mother. That was a part of the documentary that I really liked. They interviewed a bunch of comics, of course. and I, I But, you know, I, I don't think any of those interviews really brought anything to light that I didn't already know. It was cool to hear from from his peers. But the interviews I really loved were his mother, his wife, and his, his, uh, his daughter. And listening to them talk about him from an angle that I hadn't heard before was uh, fascinating. I loved it. Uh, highly recommend checking that out. And then um, the final thing I wanted to talk about, and I wanted to save this for last because I didn't know uh, how else to make a positive in case it wasn't after the fact, but uh, Eric Myers passed away, a uh, comedian friend of mine, and uh, he, he was 40 years old. He had just got done doing a gig in uh, Colorado Springs at Looney's Comedy Corner, and he was taking a Greyhound bus to Dallas, and that bus had a stop in Amarillo, and I guess he was crossing the street. Maybe it was a highway. Texas is weird. Like they, some of their, sometimes they don't have streets; they just have highways. I don't know what the circumstances were, but he, I guess he was crossing. He got hit by a van and died immediately. He was pronounced dead at the scene. And uh, what a, you know, when comedians die, everyone says all these big mythic things about them. But with Eric, it's true. He's a killer. Nobody wanted to follow him. Do you understand that? No comedian wanted to go after him because he destroyed that hard. He was like one of those guys that would destroy so hard that if you did have to go on after him, you had to like almost concede the first five minutes of your set at least to them still getting over how hilarious he was. Um... The best example I have about that is uh, we did Laughs on Fox. They had a taping at the at Pechanga Casino at the theater. It was a big-ass theater. They probably had like, I don't know, 1,000 people in there. I don't know. I'm not good at estimating. There was a crap ton of people in there. And the taping went long. It went over two hours. And they had him on at the end, of course, because they didn't want anyone else's sets ruined by him crushing so hard. And most comedy shows should only be 90 minutes. Once once you pass 90 minutes, the crowd starts getting tired. Especially when you change comedians over and over again. We were all supposed to do 10 minutes, 
but the producers kind of made a mistake and they said, well, feel it out. If you're doing well, stretch. Well, everybody stretched, okay? Everyone was feeling good. It was a, it was a packed theater. You know, we want to get the best tape out there with our best material so we make, we make it to air. So everyone goes long. I had a good spot in the middle. And, but I remember going on stage thinking I was supposed to go on 30 minutes before this. And then the show went even longer. And then Eric went up when the crowd was dead. Like two plus hours into this taping, Eric goes on stage. And the couple comics before him didn't have great sets because the crowd was over it. They, I think they had gotten a lifetime's fill of stand-up comedy. And Eric goes on there and turns that crowd, I think before he even hit the mic. And if it was after he started talking, it was very shortly after. Uh, I remember hanging out with him in the green room beforehand, and he's, he's you know, on stage, he's very high-pitched and shrill, and he's got his character. Uh, backstage, very humble, very quiet, very complimentary. It, it, like, he gives, he makes you feel great. That That's what he did. He would just, you know, I remember after my set, he just said all these nice things. He made me feel like a million bucks. He made me feel even better than all those people out there laughing. That's how complimentary he was. And then, you know, he's going on at the end, and I'm backstage because I want to watch his set. So I'm next to him right before he leaves. And he said something to me. I forget what it was. Probably said, like, oh, fuck, you know, this crowd's dead. I'm going to try to turn this around. And then he would have, like, this crackhead walk. I don't know how to describe it, but it's the sideway kind of pick his arms up and do this, like, kind of a junky stroll. I don't know what it is. But... He's walking out there, and he's walking normal. And then right as the spotlight hits him, or right as he walks into the light of the stage, he pops into that, like, side junkie stroll, and I'm immediately laughing out loud. And I think that's my favorite memory of him. I had worked with him a few times before and after that. Always a killer, always so funny, impossible to follow. But that's, I think that's my favorite memory of that guy. It was that last taping, going in two, two hours plus into this filming. The crowd is dead, and he got him from my. He got me before he hit the mic, but he got that crowd quick, and then ended up destroying. Which, the part that really makes comedians feel bad is I forget who the couple comics before him on that taping were that didn't have great sets, but that's a real bummer. Like, when you don't do well, and you're like, you can have the excuse, well, the crowd is tired, you know. And you try to, like, make yourself feel better with that. But then another comedian goes on after you in front of an even tireder crowd and destroys. And you're like, it was me. <laughs> and Eric was a killer. All the, all the good stuff that people are saying about him on social media re really are true. They're not blowing smoke. Uh amazing what a care uh, unbeatable energy and incredibly nice off the stage he had his struggles uh he, he battled alcoholism and he would you know go through bouts of, of being sober and then you know relapse and then over and over but he tried uh and just something about yeah the way he died getting hit by a, a getting hit while crossing a freeway in Amarillo, while taking a Greyhound bus from Colorado Springs to Dallas, that might have to be the most road dog death of all time. 
And I say road dog as an endearing comment. Uh, in comedy circles, sometimes the term road dog is, uh, you know, like you're looking down on somebody. I definitely don't mean it that way. I consider myself a road dog. I'm out there, you know, I, I try to hit every place as much as I can. And But yeah, that is... That has to be one of the most road dog deaths. I feel like someone's going to use that in a movie one day. If there's ever, you know, there's so many movies about comedians, but if there's another one down the road and they need a somber end to one, I, I can't I can't think of one that hits me more right in the chest than that one. No one wants to ride a Greyhound, especially from Colorado Springs to Dallas, Texas, with a pit stop in Amarillo. And to go down like that, it's almost it's horrible it's sad and then it's also oddly beautiful too which is weird but it just i guess if you do that if you work in this in this business i guess and you you travel as much as we do and you become that road dog and you see that you see that it is incredibly sad and painful but also beautiful at the same time in a weird dark way and uh yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. Eric was, a, as I knew him, a beautiful soul and an incredible force on stage that nobody wanted to follow. I think that's going to be the show this week. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review. Uh, go to YouTube if you haven't already. Subscribe to the, uh, to the channel. Modern Mail is almost at 2 million views. Help it get there by watching it again. Um, and also, if you want to support further, hit that join button. There's three tiers, $1.99, $4.99, and $9.99 if you'd like to support. All three tiers come with different perks. Go check it out. Other than that, come see me live. Port Charlotte, Cleveland, and more shows to be added. Till then, ciao, everybody. And stop. <laughs>